2: Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 679. Well, thanks to our friends from L.L. Bean and Maine Audubon for hosting us at the fourth annual L.L. Bean Maine Audubon Birding Festival last Sunday, May 27th. Special thanks to our on-site guests, Sherwin Snyder from Wildlife Acoustics and Doug Hitchcocks from Maine Audubon. And to all the enthusiastic folks in our live studio audience up there in beautiful Freeport, Maine. Well, during that broadcast in Maine, a call from California came in for our mystery bird contest. It was Chris from Albion, California, correctly identifying the golden-winged warbler as our mystery bird and thereby winning the contest. And we later got an email from Chris explaining his connection with golden-winged warblers and the brown-headed cowbird, which was our featured feathered friend last week. Chris says... I helped with research back in the 90s on the effect of cowbird nest parasitism on the nesting success of golden-winged and blue-winged warblers. This was at the fabulous Juniata College field station on Raystown Lake near Huntingdon, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Chris. And by the way, we uh, checked on the pronunciation to confirm that Juniata is how they uh, say the name of that college. We were extra careful with that after having mispronounced the name of a place in Oregon the week before. It's not Willamette Valley. It's Willamette Valley. Thanks to our friend Mary up in Anchorage, Alaska for uh, schooling us on that one. By the way, we're hoping that uh, Chris from Albion, California will get in touch with us again and tell us more about uh, his work with the uh, golden-winged and blue-winged warblers and those uh, nasty brown-headed cowbirds. Well, here is our big story of the week. This is big. Ian Davies, from here in our home state of Massachusetts, uh, did some amazing birding this week up in Canada, and he put up a Facebook post about this incredible birding experience. And I do mean incredible, which is not to question the credibility, just that it's so... Amazing, He says, Today was the greatest birding day of my life. I was fortunate to spend more than nine hours watching a river of warblers pass by Tadoussac, Quebec. By the time the flight finally died down, we estimated that more than 721,000 individual warblers had flown past. He included a picture of a bay-breasted warbler and said, This bay-breasted is one of an estimated 144,324 bay-breasted warblers today. Words cannot capture today's experience. That's from Ian Davies from Massachusetts. He's also a project coordinator for Cornell Lab of Ornithology's eBird, and I think actually did quite a fine job of capturing that experience through his words thanks to our friend barbara vocal for sharing that on the mass bird forum and by the way the story has expanded beyond massachusetts and maybe canada it was also picked up by the new york times and appeared in the science section of the may 31st edition and thanks to our friend and talking birds ambassador mike toomey for sending us a link to that new york times article Well, you may have heard us on past shows prattling on about the scourge of plastic straws and the damage they're doing to birds and mammals and to our lakes and rivers and coastlines. According to research conducted by organizations including World Watch and the National Park Service, we use and throw away here in the U.S. 500 million plastic straws every day. Well, now some cities and towns and states are finally trying to do something about it the environmental train wreck that's being caused by the use and abuse of this commonplace little item. NBC News reports that New York City has joined the still small but growing list of cities and communities and towns considering a plastic straw ban to lighten the load on landfills and protect marine life. Meanwhile, shareholders from one uh, major straw provider, McDonald's, voted against a push by activists for McDonald's to reevaluate its use of plastic straws. However, things are different at McDonald's locations in Britain, which are switching to paper straws provided when requested by customers. And one more note about this out in Malibu, California, a ban on plastic straws and utensils went into effect a couple of days ago on Friday, June 1st. Restaurants there will apparently be also using paper straws. Although at the Paradise Cove Beach Cafe, they may have a better answer. They're giving patrons the option of straws made out of pasta. Organic, biodegradable pasta. And yes, gluten-free versions are available. They're at the Paradise Cove Beach Cafe in Malibu, California.
1: Extra, extra, read all about it.
2: Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Back to Quebec where our friend Andre sent us a little story about the sound of a crying baby and some concerned neighbors in a video which you have just got to see. How stick insects expand their territories by being eaten by birds. We have the link to a story about that. And a new study in Australia reveals how fairy wrens recognize birds of other species and cooperate with them for mutual benefit. We'll connect you to the story and the video. Just a heads up, you need to sit through part of a commercial uh, to see the video on this one. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. You can find those last two stories as well through an online search. That's the sound of our mystery bird in this is not our mystery bird contest. This is just a preview of our contest coming along a little bit later on uh, in our show. But some clues here. Our tiny mystery bird has been described as the feistiest of its kind in North America, relentlessly attacking birds much larger than itself at feeders and flowers. In the right light, the male of the species shows bright orange on the back and belly with an iridescent red throat. Females are green above With rusty toned flanks and a green tail. Our bird winters in southern Mexico and breeds up in the American Northwest and western Canada, although it's being increasingly seen here in the Northeast. Okay, that's a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along in a little bit here on this morning's show. Now, some conservation good news and bad news of the week. The bad news, it's about plastic, I'm afraid. We've learned that remote Pacific islands are not immune to becoming fouled by plastic trash, far from it. But plastic trash in the Marianas Trench, the deepest place in all the world's oceans? A team of Japanese scientists recently released a paper that catalogued 3,425 cans, bits of plastic, and stray fishing gear captured in photos and videos, mostly in the Pacific Ocean, including a plastic bag at the bottom of the Marianas Trench, nearly 36,000 feet below the ocean's surface. The scientist's study also found that the majority of the junk found at 18,000 feet and below comes from single-use products like plastic bags and containers that many communities have finally begun to outlaw. They don't mention straws here, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're part of that you can find the full story by the way on our facebook page or through an online search okay conservation good news back to california again where the use of solar energy just got a big boost the california energy commission has voted to require the installation of solar panels on most newly built single-family homes and multi-family buildings of three stories or fewer It's a decision that does not require the approval of the legislature, and it will go into effect in 2020. California thereby becomes the first state to mandate solar panels in keeping with the state's efforts to slash carbon emissions 40% below 1990 levels by 2030. The Energy Commission says it expects the effort to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 1.4 million metric tons over three years. It's also expected to have a huge positive effect on the solar installation industry. Conservation salute of the week. Guess who it goes to? Right, California. And no, we're not on Jerry Brown's payroll. If the U.S. government maybe doesn't want to do a whole heck of a lot to clean the air, which does seem to be the case these days, it's encouraging to know that quite a few states want to do that, with California taking the lead. 17 states have now sued EPA Chief Scott Pruitt in the EPA and federal court over the attempt to roll back the fuel economy standards put in place to lower the amount of emissions from new cars. The rules put in place by the Obama administration will govern the automotive industry until 2025. The states California, Connecticut, Delaware, Illinois, Iowa, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, And Washington and the District of Columbia claim Pruitt's actions violate the Clean Air Act, fail to follow the EPA's own rules, and are arbitrary and capricious. The lawsuit claims the existing fuel economy rules will keep 1.8 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and save American drivers an average of $1,650 in fuel costs over the life of their vehicles. Okay, now here's a conservation cool idea of the week. According to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, a third of all food produced globally, that's about 1.3 billion tons worth, is wasted every year. And one of the biggest representatives of that waste is bread. Bread, of course, has a pretty short shelf life, and so much of it gets left over that food banks and feeding programs can't cope with it all. But now some folks in the U.K. have come up with a way to save at least some of that bread from being wasted. They're using it to make... Well, here's a hint.
0: In heaven there is no beer. That's why we drink it here. And when we're gone from here, all the friends will be drinking all our beer.
2: Yep, they're making beer out of bread. The beer is called, what else, toast Tristan Stewart is the man behind it, and he was inspired by a visit to a brewery in Belgium where they were making beer out of bread, so he decided to do the same thing on a larger scale. He connected with some craft brew folks and started a project that has resulted in the production of a lager called Much Needed. That's K-N-E-A-D-E-D. A A session IPA called Bloomin' Lovely, and a pale ale called Pure Bread. He's also collaborating with a brewery on specialties like Christmas bread pudding inspired ale (laughs) well we're always thankful for new talking birds ambassadors and we are most grateful to have three new ambassadors uh, today to announce on our show handing out our cards to friends and neighbors and thank you so much to Michelle up in Harpswell Maine thanks for becoming an ambassador Michelle and thanks for coming to our live broadcast at L.L. Bean last Sunday Thank you to Richard from Middleborough, Massachusetts. He says, I listen in on most Sunday mornings. I'll pass along information cards to those who join AMC, that's Appalachian Mountain Club, southeastern Massachusetts chapter hikes and bike rides that I lead. Many like minded folk who will enjoy talking birds. Well, we hope they will, Richard, and they will definitely know about it. Uh, thanks to you. And thanks to Al Curtis. Down in Harwich, Massachusetts, on beautiful Cape Cod. And by the way, Al, you have just become our 225th Talking Birds Ambassador. So thank you for helping us reach that milestone. Thank you so much, Al and Richard and Michelle. Well, we love our listeners in Delaware and Mississippi, and we have heard from some of them directly here on our show, but we don't love our ambassadors in Delaware and Mississippi. And that's because, and I know you've already figured this out, we don't yet have any Talking Birds ambassadors in Delaware or Mississippi. Those two states are the only ones east of the Mississippi uh, that is not yet home uh, to any Talking Birds ambassadors that are not uh, home yet. So Talking Birds listeners in Delaware, the Diamond State, a.k.a. the first state in Mississippi, the Magnolia State, We hope you'll consider representing your great states as Talkin' Birds ambassadors. Easy to do. Just click on the contact button at TalkinBirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man, Mike O'Connor, in our Let's Ask Mike segment on the fascinating topic of the June swoon. Yeah, birds disappearing from your backyard feeders. And up next, a little bird with a rather remarkable digestive ability— appears as today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. One thing you can say about yellow-rumped warblers, there are lots of them all over the U.S., wintering mostly in the southern states and points south and breeding over most of the northern part of the country and Canada. And at this time of year they've shed their dull fall and winter plumage and are brightening the trees and shrubs they inhabit with their spring colors of bright yellow, charcoal gray and black, and sharp white. Yellow rumps are fairly large, robust warblers with a sturdy bill and a long, narrow tail. The yellow color shows up on the face, the sides, the crown of the male, and of course, the rump. The bird we know was once considered to comprise four species. The myrtle warbler found all across North America, a Western counterpart, the Audubon's warbler, the Mexican black-fronted warbler, and the Guatemalan Goldman's warbler. But in 1973, they were lumped and became the yellow rumped. It's believed that the myrtle form was separated from the others by glacial development during the Pleistocene era, and the Audubon's form may have originated more recently through hybridization between the myrtle warbler and the Mexican form. Our North American myrtle and Audubon's forms are most easily separated by their throat colors, white in the myrtle and yellow in the Audubon's. The yellow-rumped is the only warbler that can digest the waxes found in fruits like bayberries, and that ability allows them to winter farther north than other warblers, sometimes as far up as Newfoundland. Here's a typical song of the yellow-rumped warbler. One of the most common warblers in North America, but a beautiful one worth looking for. Cetophica coronata, the yellow-rumped warbler. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show, number 679. We hope you like it, and if you do, we hope you'll tell your friends about it. And uh, please do visit our website. It's TalkinBirds.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Every week on our show we present the Mystery Bird Contest and give away some pretty swell prizes. And today will be no exception our Mystery Bird Contest in just 1 minute.
1: Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation.
0: My name is Tim Griffith, and I'm calling from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because one of the things that I always live by is a quote from Teddy Roosevelt that says that your love of nature is only half served unless you share it with others. And that's exactly what Ray Brown's Talking
1: Birds does. Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com, click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks.
2: That's the sound of our mystery bird. Not a vocalization, but a sound... Our tiny mystery bird has been described as the feistiest of its kind in North America, relentlessly attacking birds much larger than itself at feeders and flowers. In the right light, the male of the species uh, shows bright orange on the uh, the back and belly with an iridescent red throat. Females are green above with rusty-toned flanks and green tail. Our bird winters in southern Mexico and breeds up in the American northwest and western Canada Although it is increasingly seen here in the Northeast, uh, especially late in the season, it seems, as like in fall, and sometimes even beyond into into winter. So that's our mystery bird. Our prizes: the Droll Yankees Cute Feeder. Yes, it's the cutest little chickadee feeder for any type of food. Good for any kind of uh, small birds. It even has a height adjustable dome. You can put sunflower seed in there or fruit or mealworms or pretty much anything you'd like to put in there. Uh, Our bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. It's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. Prizes on our Mystery Bird Contest. If you know what the bird is, well, certainly tell us, and you'll be the winner of those beautiful prizes. If you're not sure, we'll take a guess, because uh, you could still be the winner. That's kind of what makes this contest special. You don't necessarily have to get the right answer. If no one else does, we'll have a drawing uh, uh, overseen by our own Tim McKenney, and you could still win uh, that prize. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781 837 Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor has some things to say about the June Swoon. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, here's a preview of another great nature book from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publishers of the Peterson Field Guides, the Kaufman Field Guides, and many more useful guidebooks and reading books. The Guide to Walden Pond is the first guidebook to Henry David Thoreau's most defining place, visited by half a million people each year. Many more know it as the fountainhead of America's environmental consciousness. Using this guide, both armchair readers and trail walkers can join Thoreau devotee Robert Thorson on an amble around the pond's shoreline, stopping at 15 special places to explore people, events, and the natural world. Abundantly illustrated with photographs, drawings, and maps, this guide is a must-have for a meaningful, engaging tour of Walden Pond, as well as a souvenir of a visit. The guide to Walden Pond is available wherever books are sold. Mike O'Connor is down there as he usually is in beautiful Cape Cod, the Bird Watchers General Store Route 6A in Orleans. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to good old Massachusetts. Yeah, we're up in Maine there last week. Beautiful up there, but nice to be uh, back here in the Bay State. Even though the June swoon, I guess, is going on, Mike, and not not just here. Those of us in New England think of the June swoon as uh, when the Red Sox kind of fade. Yeah, and time. so far,
0: they've only won one game all month.
2: Oh, man. It's happening, no doubt. Yeah, it's
0: happening. It is. I know it's only, they've only played <laughs> two games, but
2: that doesn't make any difference. Yeah, right. When you're Red Sox fan, you always look at the glass empty. That's right. Look on the <laughs> bad side, always. <laughs> all right. So uh, the June swoon, though, birds are, well, they're not coming around to feeders so much right, uh, right about Well,
0: now. typically what happens is this time of year, the, the birds, the backyard feeder birds, all birds, but we'll just concentrate on those, they get busy with raising their families and 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 when the babies hatch even feeder birds even cardinals even chickadees even titmice, they feed their nestlings insects usually those little green worms that you see hanging down little mm. insect larvae, and they gather those up and they stuff those into the baby birds and with extra protein and it helps them grow so they spend less time at the feeders also, like a few weeks ago, we had an influx of Orioles. Everybody put up Oriole feeders, and then some people a little bit late to that game, and so they, they put up the feeder now, and they probably not going to get any births again because... Those, ba- those orioles are feeding their babies, or soon will be, insects. So there's a little quiet time in June. As a matter of fact, that's one of our least busiest months in terms of bird seed mm. sales. And people come in, and, and they don't seem to remember for some reason. That's why I mention this every <laughs> June, because they don't <laughs> seem to remember, and they start complaining. Where are the birds? Where are the birds? Well, the birds are around. They're feeding their babies, with one exception, is the goldfinches. Mm. The goldfinches are... You know they've just, they've done some studying and they learned that a, a plant-based diet is more healthy. So they're total <laughs> vegetarians. So <laughs> yeah. they'll be coming all the time.
2: Did you, you teach them that, by the that. way? Excuse me. Did you teach them that about the vegetarian thing?
0: Well, we went to the same seminar together.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we both we both do <laughs> that. So you, you'll either see me or goldfinches on your feeder at this time of year. But the other birds will likely slow down, so don't get discouraged. Keep your feeders fresh, and don't, don't com- call and complain. They'll be back, especially when the babies start flying around. They'll all be back, and then the population will increase, and you'll have more birds than ever at your feeders. And then you'll be happier, and then my business will increase also, which is really the key.
2: Boy, what a win-win situation. <laughs> really, don't say it. All right, thanks so much, Mike. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Mike O'Connor down there at the uh, Bird Watchers General Store. Route 6A, Orleans, uh, Massachusetts. Meanwhile, we're going back to the uh, 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 the uh, what the mystery bird contest. Uh, after this brief pause, the June issue of Birdwatching is now available at Barnes and Noble and other retail outlets. The issue features stories on birding the Appalachian Trail, the threatened Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, as well as tips on photographing hummingbirds. Plus, Ken Kaufman describes how to differentiate blue grosbeak from indigo bunting. David simply explains how waterfall hide their wings, and much more. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com.
0: More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife to preserve natural habitats and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800 729 SAVE. That's 800 729 SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org.
2: Thank you. There it is again. It's our mystery bird, described as the feistiest of its kind in North America relentlessly attacking birds much larger than itself at feeders and flowers. In the right light, the male of the species shows bright orange on the back and belly with an iridescent red throat. Females are green above with rusty-toned flanks and a green tail. What's our mystery bird? 781-837-4900 is the number to call to tell us or take your guess. 781-837-4900. And we have Ryan in Boulder, Utah, checking in. Good morning, Ryan. Hi Ray. Good How morning. Uh, doing well. Tell us uh, what can you tell us about Boulder, Utah? Oh,
0: it's, I don't know. It's a small town. It's <laughs> okay. Real pretty. Okay. A lot of birds.
2: Small town, real pretty. A lot of birds. That's pretty good. That's I like that. That's 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 all you need yeah, there.
0: That's all you need. Yeah.
2: All right. So uh, meanwhile, on the mystery bird contest, uh, Ryan, what do you think?
0: Uh, is it a Rufus hummingbird?
2: Tim is that a Rufus hummingbird? Tim is giving a big thumbs up there indicating uh, that we think it is the Rufus hummingbird yes great right. uh, let's see Boulder Utah might be a place for Rufus hummingbirds yes yeah they'll be here later in the summer later in the summer yeah, yeah and you know we've been getting them. we've been getting them here in the east uh, quite a lot uh, late in the season for as far as I know no one has quite figured out why that is but it does seem to be the case yeah Ryan thank you so much if you'll stay on the line we'll uh, arrange to send you those uh, those prizes. Sure, thanks, Ray. Okay, thank you for Ryan in Boulder, Utah. A small town, pretty place, and lots of birds. Now, there's a slogan, okay, if you want to, there is a nice slogan right there for Boulder, Utah. Here's something kind of amazing about the Rufus hummingbird. We're told that it makes one of the longest migratory journeys of any bird in the world as measured by body size. At just over three inches long, it's roughly 3,900 mile trip one way between Mexico and Alaska is equivalent to nearly 79 million body lengths. That's some pretty serious flying there with a Rufus hummingbird. And that is our show for this morning. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you'll tell your friends about it and consider becoming a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Find out more about us at TalkinBirds.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. We'll see you next week.
1: Bird show. I like that. I that.
0: Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers Watchers General Store or Leanscape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com by L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com And by Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. (whistles) BirdsandBeans.com